Welcome to CityGraceNY.com. Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at City Grace Church. Good morning, everybody. My name is uh, Pastor Jesse, pastor of Grace Faith, and if you don't know, Grace Faith Church and City Grace are collaborating together for a year, and so we're really excited to be together, to be worshiping together, and we're also excited because we're starting a new series, a new teaching series, and the teaching series is on the Gospel of Mark. And in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to be looking at the first few chapters, and as we look at the first few chapters, we're going to see a theme that we're calling Everyday Missionaries. Everyday missionaries. And we see from the life of Jesus that, that when the gospel goes forth, right, it puts everybody on a mission. So we tend to think of that term missionaries as, as people who simply go overseas to a far distant land. But when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that when people are on mission, they're on mission wherever they go. Every day of their lives, they're on a mission. The Gospel of Mark that we're looking at for the next few weeks is the shortest and the, really the earliest account of the life of Jesus. It's very historically accurate because we know for a fact that the Gospel of Mark took place only a few years after the actual events. And we see that in the Gospel of Mark, the shortest account, we actually dive very quickly into the life of Jesus. So whereas in Matthew and Luke, it starts out talking about how Jesus was born, the Gospel of Mark dives straight into the ministry of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he calls his first disciples to follow him. He heals, he preaches and teaches. Right? He gets questioned by the religious authorities at the time. And we start to see that very quickly people are drawn to who Jesus is. In a way that they're not drawn to other religious teachers and authorities at the time. The question is... How did Jesus suddenly become well-known overnight? Right? Because in the Gospel of Mark, right, it jumps straight into Jesus' ministry. But we know from other Gospels that Jesus lived about 30 years of relative obscurity. So when did word about Jesus very quickly spread around Israel and in the ancient Near East? Because it happened very, very quickly. So love him or hate him, all of a sudden, people were starting to talk about who Jesus was, what he was teaching, and what he was doing in Israel and in the ancient Near East. Now, perhaps we know that he was either a carpenter or an architect, or some people have posited that Jesus was actually a stonemason, meaning that he worked very closely with, with stones and with rocks. But either way, the job that he had before he started his ministry was actually very common, right? Many people around in that area were either stonemasons or carpenters or architects. It was very, very common. So in other words, if, if Jesus had perhaps a LinkedIn account today, people would just pass by it. Wouldn't get very many hits. People are not really that interested in what Jesus had to offer before he started his ministry, so some of you may know about Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Apple, right, who very suddenly became very, very well known when he started Apple. Jobs, right, he grew up in relative obscurity. He graduated from high school, and after he graduated, he enrolled in Reed College in Portland, Oregon. But he dropped out just after one semester, 
and he had taken a part-time job designing video games for Atari. He was trying to travel to India. He was interested in religious thought, particularly Eastern spirituality. So he tr tried to travel around there. But a turning point happened in Steve Jobs' life, which is that when he was about 20 years old, he had a partner. He teamed up with someone named Steve Wozniak. And it was when he teamed up with Steve Wozniak that he started this venture in his parents' garage that after one year, sales were already $3 million. And after the second year, sales hit $200 million. So Steve Wozniak, right, this, sorry, Steve Jobs, this college dropout, went very quickly from a college dropout to the co-founder of Apple. And the effect of that, you can actually probably feel in your pocket if you're holding an iPhone, because as you know, Apple is one of the premier companies in the entire world. So overnight, right, Steve Jobs revolutionized the technological world. And overnight, we see in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus revolutionizes not just the technological world, but the entire world with what he has to say. But the question is, what propelled Jesus, right, from relative obscurity to beginning the most important and influential ministry of the entire world? And I would say that Jesus didn't begin his ministry affecting millions upon billions upon trillions of people until he got something that he deemed was essential. He needed the loving, approving, affirming words of his father. Mark chapter 1, verses 10 to 11 says this, And when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I'm well pleased. So at Jesus' baptism, right, Jesus hears the most loving, approving, validating, and affirming words he could have ever, ever heard in his life. Right? And it was after, only after that point at which Jesus began his ministry, which revolutionized the entire world. Right? So at his baptism, Jesus hears the words, you're enough, you're loved, you're approved of. And who you are, God says, I take delight in. I take joy in who you are, not just what you do. And only after Jesus heard those words, after he got the affirmation of his father, was he able to begin his ministry. Some of you may know that I have a son, his name's Eli, also like Pastor Ben. And he's going to be starting pre-K, and so we've taken him to different activities and classes in his first four years. And in taking him to these different new areas, he's a little bit timid, and he's a little bit shy. And he's not ready to just go off on his own and be away from his parents. So every time that we go into a new environment, a new class, he always asks basically one thing from me. He asks for just one minute. For me to stay with him just, just one minute. One minute of me being with him, giving him a few loving words, and then, and only then, 
he's off on his own. He spends one minute with his dad, secure in knowing who his dad is and how his dad feels about him, and then all of a sudden, he bolts, literally, runs as fast as he can. Sometimes down the street, which is often quite dangerous in Manhattan with, with cars and bikes and trains and pedestrians. It's a bit scary. But once he hears those words and once he spends that one minute with me, he's gone. Because after he spends that minute with me, he basically becomes who he was designed to be, his true self, his real self. We all need, right, that, that feeling of safety and security and love and approval to be who we are designed to be, right? For us to go off where God wants us to be or where we want to be or where we're supposed to be. And as much as we would like to give that, that safety and that affirmation and that love to ourselves, we find out we actually can't. Maybe perhaps we, we had bad parents, parents who didn't affirm us or didn't love us. Maybe we had no parents, no affirmation, no love, no security. Or maybe we had great parents, but, but even, even the best of parents, right, can't give us the love and the approval and the security and the safety that we need. So instead, we look to other places because we have this, this heart hunger, right, for safety and for longing. And so we see that if we can't find it, we look to often wrong places. And sometimes we actually use difficult circumstances, difficult testing, difficult times in our life to prove to ourselves that we deserve love and approval. We use, we use difficult circumstances and even times of testing, right? So Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, verse 13, right, enters a period of, of testing. It says, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So the Greek word there can mean temptation, right? Temptation, very common word, particularly in, in religious thought. But the Greek word there can also mean more broadly testing, right? A difficult period of time. And Jesus underwent testing by Satan. So Jesus, right, driven and directed by the Holy Spirit, enters into the wilderness. And the wilderness, right, is, is the arena of testing, so if you read the Old Testament, we see that God's people enter into a period of testing when they enter the wilderness, right? Not when they're in familiar territory, but when they're in unfamiliar territory, when they're in the wilderness. So the testing and the temptation, in the case of Jesus, right, helps reveal who Jesus is. Is he the Messiah? Is he the Son of God? But when we encounter testing and temptation, we generally encounter a few more problems, two problems in particular. So one is we try to earn love and approval through periods of testing, periods of difficult circumstances. And secondly, oftentimes we don't trust God during those difficult times. Right? So one, we use the difficult times often 
to feel like we have earned love and approval. And secondly, during those difficult times, we often end up not trusting God as much as we would like. So there are many, many difficult circumstances throughout life, right? We're often willing to go through them, particularly if those circumstances end up telling something about us, about who we are. So, for example, if we do well in school and we get high grades and we get into, let's say, a good college, what does it say about us? It says we're smart. Right? Or if we've worked really hard in college and we've done well in school, we work for a really important firm or company or organization, what does that say about us? We're pretty good people. We've accomplished a lot in life. Or perhaps if we find some, someone to marry, what does that say about us? If we find someone to marry, we might say, it might finally tell us that we're loved and we're lovable. So, some of you may have seen uh, the first Rocky movie. In the first Rocky movie, Rocky Marciano, played by Sylvester Stallone, he starts to talk to his girlfriend, Adrian, because he's about to box Apollo Creed. And Apollo Creed, right, is the heavyweight champion of the world. And Apollo Creed's first opponent that he's supposed to box ends up dropping out. So as a result, Creed is looking for a new opponent. And so he's looking for local contenders. And he selects Rocky. And Rocky, even though he's really excited about boxing, the heavyweight champion of the world, is also pretty nervous. And so he starts to talk to his girlfriend about the doubts that he has about himself. Because Apollo Creed, right, has been so good that no one that has stepped in the ring with him has even lasted the entire bout. No one's gone the distance with this guy, Apollo Creed. And here's Rocky's opportunity to box him. So he says this. He says, it doesn't matter if I lose because all I want to do is just go the distance with him. If I can go that distance, you see, and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life, see, that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. Right? Rocky is willing to endure intense physical testing and training. Why? Because on a very fundamental level, he wants to prove to himself that he's somebody. He's somebody worth caring about. He's not just another person from the neighborhood. Someone approves of him. He belongs there, right? And this is, of course, why many people end up coming to New York City. New York City, right, is a very competitive city. There's a lot that the city has to offer. So as the Frank Sinatra song goes, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. So if you are able to live in New York City, if you're able to deal with uh, an antiquated subway system, if you're able to endure this affordable housing crisis that New York City is in, if you're able to deal with noisy and annoying neighbors, if you're able to deal with the competitive markets found in New York City, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. So people come to New York City to prove themselves, to have a better life, to endure the difficulty of New York City, because if you can survive in New York City, you can thrive almost anywhere else. 
But secondly, during difficult testing, right, we tend also not to trust God. And we see that when we look in the book of Exodus following the Israelites, because God brings his children out of Egypt, right, into the wilderness area, into this arena that they get tested. And God tests his people to find out if they will still trust him in the midst of difficult circumstances. So, before Jesus is tested, the Israelites are tested. And what happens when the Israelites get tested in the wilderness? They fail. They complain. They grumble. They argue with God. So, Numbers chapter 14, verses 33 to 34 says this, And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness, until the last day of your dead bodies lie in the wilderness, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days a year for each day, you shall bear iniquity forty years, and you shall know my displeasure. So the Israelites, right, they end up spending 40 years wandering in the wilderness, right, as a result of their lack of trust in God. Because God's not happy. So we see a contrast, right, between the Israelites and Jesus. So where the Israelites fail, we see Jesus succeed. The difference, right, in Jesus' testing and temptation is, number one, Jesus didn't use those tests and temptations to try to earn God's love and approval. And then secondly, Jesus does trust God in the hardest and most difficult of circumstances. So how do we know, how do we know that Jesus didn't use the difficult circumstances of his life to earn God's love and approval? How do we know that that's not what was going on inside of his heart? And we need to see not only that, yes, on the one hand, Jesus does succeed in enduring the trials and temptations put before him, but also when Jesus endures the trials and temptations. And understanding when Jesus goes through these trials is actually the key to understanding the gospel itself. Right? Not just what happens to Jesus, but when it happens to Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verses 11 to 12. Right? It says, we're moving from the baptism of Jesus to the testing of Jesus. So verse 11 says, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Right? The loving, affirming, approval, approving words of God. And then, chapter 12, verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Do you see the timing? Right? The way most of life operates is you go through training and testing and trials, and if you pass the tests and the temptations and the trials, you get rewarded. You get the love, you get the approval. You get the championships, right? That's how most of life operates. You go through the testing period. If you come out through the testing period and you make it, you get the love, the approval, the, the championships, the medals. But what do we see here in the Gospel of Mark in the life of Jesus? 
Jesus receives his Father's approval not after he endures the trials and temptations, but before. Right? In this passage of Mark, right, we see the true way of the gospel. Right? A way unlike any other world religion and any other system of thought, which is the gospel upends traditional religious thought and practice because the love and approval of the Father come before Jesus does anything of significance in his ministry. Right? God the Father doesn't love Jesus because he heals, because he preaches, because he heals people. God the Father loves Jesus because he has chosen to love Jesus. God the Father loves Jesus not because of what he does, because of who he is. So, religious thought, right, is pass the test, resist temptation, and then you will be approved and loved. But the gospel says you are loved and approved first. And yes, tests and temptations will come later, but it doesn't define who you are. So if you are a Christian, right, who you are is completely bound up in Christ. This is the message of the gospel. So the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, he comments on this passage saying, the whole Christian gospel could be summed up in this one point, right, this one point that when the living God looks at us, at every baptized and believing Christian, he says to us what he said to Jesus on that day. When he sees us, he sees us not as we are in ourselves, but as we are in Jesus Christ. Right? So it, when we become a Christian and when we are in Christ, he sees us not as we are in ourselves, but as we are in Jesus Christ. So when we read the Gospel of Mark, we don't just see God telling Jesus, you are my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. We see that God says that to us. You are my beloved child. With you, I'm well pleased. You yourself hear those words of God our Father when Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior. The truth in the Bible, right, becomes a truth in our hearts, a truth spoken to us, our hearts. But it's not that simple, right? Because we have, we have lies that we hear quite a bit in terms of our value, our worth, who we're loved by. We hear lies from the culture. We hear lies from ourselves. We hear lies from our friends and even our family. A global activist, Lynn Twist, in her book, The Soul of Money, talks about what she calls the great lie. And this gives us a very practical picture of what can change in our lives when we hear God's affirming words to us. She says this, For me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. 
Whether true or not, the thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even begin to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, and worrying about what we don't have enough of before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with the litany of what we didn't get done, what we didn't get that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to that feeling of lack this internal condition of scarcity, that this mindset of scarcity lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. Right? This internal sense of scarcity birthed in all human beings when sin enters and corrupts the world causes us to strive for approval and love in all the wrong places. And we try to cover up this internal sense of scarcity with distractions and things, and we feel like we don't have enough because we feel like we aren't enough. We feel like we can't love others well because we don't feel like we are loved well. But this internal sense of scarcity becomes a lie for all who believe and understand the gospel. Because if you believe the gospel, the truth is that Jesus, in Jesus, we have all that we need. The approval and the love of the Father is ours when we are one with Christ. When we look at the gospel, we see the abundance of love found in the words of God the Father, who says to you, if you are in Christ, that you, you are beloved. You are my beloved child, and with you I'm well pleased. And we come to church every Sunday to hear those same words. That you are my beloved child. And with you I'm well pleased. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, God, for, for your Son and for your Holy Spirit, who in this passage show us and display for us the gospel in the most beautiful and most loving way. Father God, we admit that more often than not, we, we hear and digest the messages and the lies that tell us that we are not loved and that we're not enough. God, would you, would you reveal to us the areas of our lives where we have that, that internal sense of, of scarcity? Would you help us see and experience the truth that if we are in Jesus Christ, if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, that you see us as you see Jesus. That we ourselves, God, are approved and loved beyond measure. God, may those words to us set us free to be brave, to be courageous, to be the people that you design us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.